Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to my favorite work of art. With me, Dr. Laura Jane Foley. Each week, I am joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today's guest is Brooks Newmark, a former Conservative MP who served in the Coalition Government as Minister for Civil Society. Brooks was founder and co-chair of Women to Win, a movement within the Conservative Party which aims to increase the number of women in Parliament. Prior to entering politics, Brooks was a senior partner at a leading international private equity fund. He was educated at Harvard College, Harvard Business School and Oxford University. In 2010, Brooks founded the charity A Partner in Education and has built a primary school for 300 children in Rwanda. He has also worked with the homelessness charity Crisis and chaired a report on homelessness in the UK. Brooks is currently a research associate in the Department of Politics and International Relations at Oxford University. He lives in London and together with his wife Lucy has five children. I'm delighted he's joining me today. Welcome, Brooks. Thank you. So tell me, what is your favourite work of art? Um, well, not that I want to say I have an Oedipus complex, but um, <laughs> um, Andy Warhol um, did a large silkscreen of my uh, mother in sometime in the mid-1970s. I think it was around 74, 75. Wow. So that's the artwork we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, um, it's a triptych. So it's three separate silk screens. Um, and the, we've got a beautiful image here, and it's of a, a very beautiful young woman staring out of the, uh, from the canvas uh, with the typical Warhol smear of cyan blue across her eyes, uh, Warhol eyeshadow. Um, tell me a bit more about your mother. Um, my mother is um, very much a larger-than-life character. Um, for those of my generation who may have watched Dynasty, um, my mother is a version of Joan Collins in Dynasty, but on steroids. <laughs> um, she is from the South Bronx. My father died when I was about six and remarried an Englishman um, when I was nine. So we moved to England. Right. So you have to sort of imagine this very brash New Yorker um, in the middle of the English countryside <laughs> um, and, you know, hosting society, um, but um, quite a strong personality. But one thing she always had was a good eye for art. And um, she was very much in the mix of the pop artists in the 1960s and 70s. And so was an early collector of 
whole series of artists, Roy Lichtenstein. We probably had about eight Roy Lichtensteins in my house. Wow. Um, we had several Warhols. Um, we had Alex Katz, who was also a pop artist, Alan Jones, um, those people that might know what's called the Green Lady, which is sort of this green figurine on, off, you know, uh, on all fours, effectively with a glass table on top, which was a great Alan Jones piece. Um, sort of she had that. Um, so, you know, I grew up um, in the English countryside in a very traditional uh, English country house, but with pop art all over the walls. So it gave me this sort of love and passion for um, the art of the really the sort of late 50s, uh, 60s and 70s. So tell me, how did the commission come about? How did the portrait come about? Well, my mum was good friends with um, a woman called Baby Jane Holzer. And Baby Jane was great friends with Andy Warhol. And um, they're both from New York uh, Jane and my mother, and they sort of hit it off um, when they when they met sometime, I think, in the mid-60s. And so Jane um, – and we used to go over to stay with Jane uh, when I was younger. And I think through, through Jane, my mum was introduced to Andy Warhol. And um, I think somewhere in the conversation, Andy said he'd like to do – a silk screen of my my mother. Wow, which is quite something because we think of Elvis, we think of Marilyn Monroe, we think of Mick Jagger, and your mum. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, obviously accolade. at the time I didn't appreciate it, and um, but um, what was interesting was the fact that um, when he just decided to do it, my mum sort of took me with her to New York to the factory where he did the silk screen. So I was able to see this. Um, image of my mother done right from the beginning. Um, and what was interesting about it was, you know, as a, I think I was about 15, turning up to the factory um, with all these um, cast of very strange characters mm. around Andy Warhol and um, him sort of sitting my mum down in a chair, um, taking the photograph of her using um, the image, which was um, what were those sort of copied images that they had had at the time, um, uh, which then was used as the basis for the silkscreen. And then the next thing that really struck me was, you know, I was used to seeing people painting on canvases that were vertical. But what Andy did was the canvas was horizontal on the ground. Right. So it was laid on the ground, framed. Um, and uh, also, which I hadn't appreciated, that I assumed he painted everything. No, in <laughs> fact, what he did is having created the image through the photograph that he liked, he then had people who were literally rolling on mm. the layers of the silkscreen paint at the mm. time. So I sort of watched um, all this being done all pretty much in a day. Um, and then I probably didn't... Quite something for a 15-year-old boy to be in Andy Warhol's New York studio, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, and I was, I was, as a teenager, I was chronically shy um, and everything. But one thing I I sort of empathised with, with Andy Warhol himself because, oddly enough, he was an incredibly shy person as well. Mm. And even though he had this sort of persona of larger than life himself... Um, he was a very softly spoken, very shy um, guy. Mm. And um, so I didn't really 
talk to him too much because there were two very shy people who <laughs> found it difficult to um, communicate and I was slightly overwhelmed by everybody around him. Um, so I sort of was more quietly observing everything that was going on at the time. So what other encounters did you have with Warhol? Because your mum also entertained these artists at home, didn't she? So eventually um, Andy brought the paintings over with him to our house in England, in the sort of English countryside in the Chiltern Hills in Buckinghamshire. And so um, my next sort of meeting with him was at, um, at my house in Buckinghamshire, where he sort of turned up with Fred Hughes, who is his manager, and, um, you know, was entertained in our dining room um, with Andy. And um, my my mom, who's ever pushy, sort of sat me next to him anyway, between him and Fred Hughes. So, um, you know, I got talking to him and... Um, Ended up probably talking to Fred Hughes a little bit more than Andy because I, I found him difficult mm. to talk to anyway. Um, There's an excruciating video. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Andy Warhol Eats a Hamburger. And it's about five minutes long and it literally is of Andy Warhol sitting down with a Burger King uh, hamburger, which we can see because, of course, he was so yeah. interested in brands and the, the presentation of brands. And he, we just watch him eating a hamburger, right? If you, you know, no, no, go well, online, film, I suggest I, I can, it because it's I can top that. I actually saw him, saw his film called Sleep, okay. where he is literally filming somebody sleeping. <laughs> and I think the film goes on for at least eight hours. And all you're doing is watching somebody sleeping in bed. But I think the, re- the two reasons why I think you watch something like that is A, you think something's going to happen. And B, it's Andy Warhol. That's right. And yeah. you feel very privileged to, to be watching that. So, I mean, did you feel that privilege or were you too young to feel the privilege of being in his presence? No, I, I definitely knew he was a, a sort of a well-known personality. Um, but, but, I, but I'd also grown up with lots of well-known personalities coming through my house, mm. which gave me also, oddly enough, a self-confidence in dealing with all sorts of people later on in life. So I've always treated each individual um, as an individual, and I've never really been intimidated by anybody because of who they are later in life. Mm. Um, So it's sort of, you know, growing up with lots of people coming through my house who are well-known personalities, whether it was in business or politics or the arts, um, it it sort of gave me... um, Uh, oddly enough, a self-confidence, even though I have to say as a teenager, I was quite a shy person. Um, The only thing that would sort of get me going during um, conversations, though, was politics, where I would always engage in a a debate. Um, So, um, so yeah, I mean, mean, what was also quite nice at the time was uh, my mother, who's always ever prepared, had this brochure of Andy Warhol's paintings. And so she sort of thrust it in my hand um, and said uh, after dinner, go and get Andy to sign this for you. It'll be worth something someday. <laughs> and so um, I still have this brochure of Warhol paintings with this uh, note to, to myself um, signed by Andy Warhol, which I still have oh. sitting on um, my table in my house. Oh, that's um, nice. So, so, you know, it's quite nice. And it's quite nice to... You know, to have met, as I said, not just Andy Warhol, but Roy Lichtenstein, Alex Katz, and um, Alan Jones, Bill Turnbull, a lot of these, uh, uh, Henry Moore, Henry Moore did a, 
a vast statue for my mother, which we which was done sort of which was kept so outside back to the second of our, series when at, I at, our, <laughs> at our house. So it was interesting meeting Henry Moore. So as I said, I grew up with this you know, with this larger-than-life personality in my mother, but also having this cast of characters constantly coming mm. through our house because she sort of knew, seemed to know everybody, which was quite nice. And did that then reflect into an interest in art at school? Did you like Yeah, art? I mean, I always... Um, Funnily enough, I was more interested in... I never f- was that good at art. I was good at sculpture, and I always enjoyed sort of sculpting. And so probably from the age of sort of 12 or 13, I was tended to do lots of forms of sculpting at, at school. <clears throat> and then I won um, a prize when I think I was about, I want to say around 15, um, possibly 16, I think I was 15, where I got to spend um, a, a day at um, Bill Turnbull's studio. Um, for those listeners of you who don't know who Bill Turnbull is, a very well-known British uh, sculptor. And um, and that was interesting in itself to see how he goes about making sculpture, which was through making initial uh, maquettes and then creating a very large cast. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I, I always had that. and But my interest was more in sculpting than than in painting per se, but that's because I just got more more out of it, I think, mm. yeah. And has yeah. that carried on as an adult? Do you, do you Yeah, I mean, I've bought, I mean, I'm a, still a, I'm a collector of art um, and a sculpture. Collector rather than a maker. And sculpture, yes, yes. Um, I, I, yeah, so, so I, I tend to do that. I've got, um, I've got a lovely Dali at home, sculpture that is. I've got a, a Hikili who is a well-known French uh, sculptor whose artwork looks a little bit like art but three-dimensional. Um, and, yeah, I, I've sort of, I, I sort of like sculpture, but it takes up a lot of room, so I tend to, to collect more art for and my why, walls. And why for, do you collect? What's the driving passion? Is it about investment? Is it about what you love? No, I think, I think if anyone came to my house, they'd see it was quite eclectic, my, my works of art. Um, so, no, I just, I sort of see something and I like it, and if the price is reasonable, I will, I will get it. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Brooks. I have one more story for you. Oh, go on. Tell well, all. Well, I didn't, one thing that I, I, I didn't really mention was that having sat next to Fred Hughes, who was Andy Warhol's partner. Oh, I, I think was I know just, what might be coming. I, I was um, just going off to Harvard to, to university. So Fred Hughes turns to me and says, well, there's this great studio, new studio in New York, which I'm involved in called Studio 54. Wow. <laughs> so he said to me, all you need to do is when you get there, you'll see a line, but just go straight to the front of the line and mention my name and they'll let you in. So just for listeners who might be a bit too young. Okay. Tell us about Studio 54 and what it was famed for. And so, so Studio 54, yeah, was the first very large disco in in New York, but was well known for having lots of personalities go through it. It was the first time where people sort of had to queue up outside the door. I mean, they created this persona. So even though you would go in, it'd be half empty. The fact that it, people were queuing there meant that people wanted to sort of go there. Um, it, it eventually got shut down, I think, because... And Andy of, Warhol came quite a lot. Yeah, so oh, and Andy Warhol, Mick Jagger, um, and, you know, various sort of pop stars. It became it was a very well-known um, place in the, really, in the mid-70s. It, though, I have to say, it eventually got shut down because there was, a, I think, a massive drugs bust there or something. But... Um, 
But yeah, you know, it was just fascinating because it was very much part of the, I'd say, of the culture in New York of the late 70s and early 80s. So it was a great to have experienced Studio 54 several times while I was in college. And I'm sure your friends at Harvard yeah, <laughs> thought we're, it was we're, fantastic. We're very, we're very envious, yeah. Absolutely. But it meant, actually, I could go down with two or three friends anyway, and they'd always let us in. Wow. And it worked, just going up to the front door and yeah, saying... Yeah, no, I just had to say the magic words sort of Fred Hughes and Andy said I could come here and... It was like open sesame. I mean, they never doubted me. Um, and maybe because I had an English accent and I had long hair and spoke with a sort of posh voice. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. What a fascinating story and stories you told us today. Thank you so much for coming in, Brooks. OK, great. Enjoyed, enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you. Today, we were talking about a portrait of Brooks's mother, Gilda Gourlay, by the famed American artist Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol was born in 1928 and died aged 58 in 1987. He was a key figure in pop art, which was described in 1957 by British artist Richard Hamilton as popular, designed for a mass audience, transient, short-term solution, expendable, easily forgotten, low-cost, mass-produced, young, aimed at youth, witty, sexy, gimmicky, glamorous, big business a perfect definition of what Warhol and others were up to in the 50s and 60s. If you would like to see the artwork we were discussing this week, or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter, at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag MyFavouriteWorkOfArt. The show was recorded at Wisebudder and was edited by Liam Clayton. The title music is Blue, from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.